I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start a new series that will take many, many months. We're going to work our way through Colossians. Some Sundays we'll uh, take apart one verse. Sometimes we'll jump into a section of verses. And and then every once in a while we'll take a break and bring back one of our revival messages uh, like we did last week. Colossians chapter 1. I've been thinking about love the last few days because I saw this commercial on uh, television, it's, uh, uh, it's for a cruise company, you know, and uh, the commercial's got this, you know, this man this, um, walking, walking, it's kind of like at dusk, and some sweet, like, just background music, you know what I'm talking about, just that kind of, like, just gets the heartstrings going, and he's carrying his, like, four-year-old daughter, and I have a four-year-old daughter, and she's totally asleep on his shoulders, and and the little voiceover, you know, kind of a very low and soothing voice says, uh, she's not going to remember this moment, you carrying her, but she is going to remember you playing pirates with her on a tucked away cove in the Caribbean. She is going to remember the lunch that you had in the pool. She is going to remember the nighttime fireworks off the back of the boat and that dad's carrying his daughter. And I'm like, because <laughs> I have a four-year-old daughter. And I'm like, Amanda, Annabeth and I are going on a cruise. No. <laughs> Not you, not Jackson, just me and Annabeth. <laughs> and we see those things that stir up our love or they remind us of our love. And that's what we're going to talk about in Colossians chapter 1. This is what it says in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now here's the background information that you need to know on this first week as we jump into this book. Colossae was a town in what was known as Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey. And it was in a triangle of towns. There were three towns that formed this triangle all in this river valley there in what is modern day Turkey. There was uh, Colossae, there was Laodicea, and there was Hierapolis. And uh, Colossae was the most insignificant of these towns. In fact, right around this time in some other literature, it's referred to as a small town. Its glory days were well beyond it. The church started, as best we can tell, during one of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. You can read about it in Acts, but in one of those journeys, he spends three years in a town called Ephesus, which is not too far from Colossae, and he spends three years there. He's teaching in their synagogues, he's teaching in this school there, and he's raising up people who believe in Jesus. And Paul was not just content for you to believe in Jesus, he wanted you to believe in Jesus and then go and tell other people about Jesus. And so he raises up this uh, young man named Epaphras, and Epaphras thinks, where am I going to go and and Tell people about Jesus. Where am I going to go and share this gospel that I've heard? And he thinks, well, I'll go back to my hometown, Colossae. And so he goes back to Colossae and he begins a church there. He begins a church in Hierapolis. He begins a church in Laodicea. uh, Laodicea. And this man named Epaphras was probably the pastor of all three of those churches. Well, you fast forward about 10 years from when the church started. The Apostle Paul is now in prison in Rome because he's been preaching the gospel. Epaphras goes to visit him and he gives the Apostle Paul 
Paul some disturbing news. Some things have snuck into this church that uh, really concern Paul. And so Paul is going to write a letter to this church. Now, Paul has never been to this church as far as we can tell um, because he... he, he, he um, just doesn't talk about going and visiting them in the past since. Uh, he was like the grandfather of this church. If Epaphras was the father of this church, Paul was like the grandfather of this church. And so he's writing them a letter. They would have known who Paul was. They would have known him well, known about him well, but not known him personally. So Paul sends these letters out. He sends three letters out with a man named Tychicus. Say that with me. Tychicus. Come on, do it. Brave. One, two, three. Tychicus. Any of you are pregnant? There's a name for a little boy. Tychicus. So this Tychicus, who was a servant to many, many churches all around that part of the world, leaves the Apostle Paul in prison with three letters, what we know as Colossians, what we know from the Bible as Philemon, and maybe the letter to the Ephesians. And so this letter gets to the Colossians, and they would have read it out loud, and then they would have swapped letters uh, with some of the other local churches. And this is what it says in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you want to know what is this section that I'm reading about, uh, there are a couple of things that you can do. One of the things that you can do is look for what phrases, what ideas are repeated. So this is just an introduction. This is really just the beginning of the letter. We're getting a little background on the, uh, the Colossians here. But one idea is mentioned twice. It's mentioned in verse 5. And of the love that you have for all the saints. And then back in verse 8. And has made known to us your love in the spirit. Have you ever met someone who just exuded love? Like they were just a loving person. You knew that. You could feel that. When I was in college, uh, Amanda and I went on a, a mission trip uh, to, El, uh, to where were we? Uh, Venezuela. And uh, we were in this dusty town in the middle of Venezuela. And all, we were partnering with a local church there. And what the church wanted us to do was literally walk up and down the streets, knocking on doors, asking to come in. And then we would have conversations with them that would hopefully eventually lead to Jesus. And so this is what we did all day long. Well, the pastor of that church that we were partnering with, he was one of these guys who just exuded love. Uh, I didn't get to have any good conversations with him because he only spoke Spanish and I only spoke English, but he was just always smiling, just always happy. You could feel the warmth and kindness just coming off of him. Uh, One of the the ways that I know for sure that he was a loving person is because he hosted us over at his house one night and we had dinner over there and we were hanging out and he pulled out his motorcycle. Now, Amanda and I, we've been dating for probably about six or seven months. We're in that stage where we probably both want to be married. I definitely want to be married. She was maybe thinking it over. But we we needed to decide, are we in this or are we not in this? And if we are in this, because we definitely are, it's too late now. Um, You know, when are we going to get married? All those things. And so I was in maximum... Uh, try to be cool mode. You know what I'm talking about? Just, just reel her in. I had her on the hook. Just reel her on in. And so he pulls out his motorcycle, which, I, which I'm sure was an incredibly you know, treasured possession, as it would for any man in here who owns a motorcycle. See, my dad owned motorcycles, and I have been on one in my lifetime. 
But I'm thinking, hey, we're in Venezuela. This is the land of trying stuff that you don't know how to do. And, and so I, I'm like, can I, can I ride it? You know, of course, the English-Spanish thing. And I'm just pointing at it. And he's smiling because he's a smiley guy. And so I just get on, you know. And I start it up. And I run it into his house. Literally just run it right into the side of his house. It's right in. And, and he smiled the whole time. He was kind. I mean, he probably hates me, but as far as I know, he was what the Colossians are like. He had love for all the saints, including me. The Colossians had a reputation of love. The Apostle Paul says, we've heard of your faith and of your love. What do people hear about you? I mean, people are talking about you. Welcome to planet Earth. People are talking about you behind your back. Having conversations with you, about you, not with you, but about you. What are people hearing about you? What is your reputation? What reputation is preceding you? Think about that list of what people might be hearing about you. How long, how far down that list do you have to get before somebody says, oh yeah, and they are a loving person? Because for the Colossians, again, we're just getting the background on them here. That came up all the time. We've heard of your faith and of your love for all the saints. So we're not going to waste our time this morning. We're not going to waste our time trying to prove from the scriptures that we should love one another. Even if you are a skeptic and you're not convinced of the authenticity and the authority of the, the Bible. Even if you're not convinced that Jesus really is the way to God I'm sure you are convinced that it's a good thing to love one another. So let's not waste our time proving that we should love one another. We all know that already. It's the how. That's the challenge. It's not should we love one another. It's how do we love one another. I think there are some clues here. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So those two things are tied together. And of the love that you have for all the saints because the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now what's the hope that's laid up for you in heaven? It's eternal life. Verse 13, it's not going to be up on the screens, but if you want to glance at it with me, just a few verses from where we are. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the scripture says that you and I, even though you're a really good person and I'm a really good person, we were all born in that domain of darkness, ruled by the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. And the good thing about living in the domain of darkness is you get to do whatever you want. You can be the Lord of your life. You don't have to consult anyone. You don't have to take anybody's feelings into consideration. You don't have to wonder about the big picture. If you live in the domain of darkness, you can do whatever you want to do. The problem with living in the domain of darkness is if you live in the domain of darkness in this life, you have to live in the domain of darkness in the life to come. But God saw us in our state. He saw us in our residency there. He saw us participating. It wasn't that we just lived. It's not that we just had an address in the domain of darkness. We were willing participants in the culture there. But he loved us anyway. And he sends Jesus to be perfect where we had failed. He sends Jesus to sacrifice on the cross where we had been selfish. He sends Jesus to be raised from the dead when we were dead in our sin. And for those who believe in 
Jesus, it says, you get transferred to the kingdom of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says that when that transfer happens, when you get a new address in the kingdom of Jesus, uh, you are, your life is hidden with Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. So to live in Jesus' kingdom is to be in Christ, is to be hidden with Christ. And the good thing about being hidden with Christ, the good thing about living in the kingdom of Jesus, you can't be the Lord of your life there, but the Lord, Jesus, he's a gracious Lord, and he willingly shares all that is his with you. So today, there may not be anything about your life that would give you peace. In fact, maybe everything about your life would give you anxiety. But Jesus has peace, and he willingly shares with you. There may be nothing about your situation that would give you joy. Maybe everything about your life right now is bad. But Jesus has joy. And he's the Lord of the kingdom that you live in. And he willingly shares it with you. Hope, he shares with you. It says in verse 2 here to the saints and faithful brothers. Now I don't know if any of you came in today thinking, yeah, I'm a saint. That's right. That's what I've been telling my wife for years now. No, I doubt it. Because we're not saints. We don't have any holiness, at least not of our own. But Jesus is holy. And he shares that holiness with us. That's why we can be called saints. And he has a future. Listen, the future of Jesus, it's bright. It's good. It's happy. It's engaging. And it's forever and ever. And he willingly shares that future with us. We call it eternal life. And that is the hope that is laid up for you, and that's the hope that's laid up for me. And the scripture says, because of that hope, we can have a reputation of loving all the saints. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter six. I wanna show you where this same idea of something being laid up, something being stored up, is used by Jesus. Matthew chapter six. Keep a finger there in Colossians. We'll be right back to it. Jesus says this in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus too is talking about something that's to come. That we're not storing up things for ourselves here. We're storing up things for ourselves in heaven. We don't have something laid up for us here. We have something laid up for us in heaven. See, the Bible teaches this law of the harvest. Right? You reap what you sow. Say that with me. You reap what you sow. And it's in a lot of different places. The law of the harvest. Well, the challenge for us is we only like the reaping. We don't really have patience for the sowing. And here's how this connects with loving people. Because the hardest thing about loving people is people. Amen? It's the great challenge in being a loving person. The person that you love. 
I remember when I was the world's worst youth pastor. I've told you that before, but uh, you know, when you come out of college, you can't just say, hey, I want to be a pastor. Follow me. You know, it doesn't work like that. You got to kind of earn some credibility. And so I earned my credibility by working with teenagers. Teenagers are amazing. I just wasn't good at it. And part of my job responsibility was to take them on an annual mission trip. And so we headed to Florida one summer, real hot central, uh, in central Florida, a little town that had been hit by a hurricane. And so we went to do some relief work, specifically putting on roofs uh, back on houses. And so it was great work. And at night, uh, and during the day we would do this work, and at night we would come back to this church where we were staying, be jealous, yep, that's right, staying on the, the floor of a church, is amazing, and uh, we'd stay, come back to this church, we'd eat dinner, and then we'd have like this church service, right, and so there was a pastor, and he would do the preaching, and after the preaching, the pastor says, okay, I want all the youth pastors, that's me, I want all the youth pastors, and there were a lot of other youth pastors there, a lot of other churches, uh, to come forward, we're going to have a time of ministry and prayer, which is what we do here at Bayou City Fellowship a lot. The idea would be that when God was working in the life of a teenager in their church, and they wanted to pray about it, they could come and they could pray with their youth pastor. That was the goal. And so the first night, uh, you know, I'm standing up in front with all these other youth pastors, in, and I'm thinking, man, I hope one of our kids is coming and praying that God's working in their life, and I don't want to be embarrassed to be the only youth pastor up here who doesn't have anybody coming to pray with them, you know. And, uh, and sure enough, here comes this kid from our student ministry, and he was an awesome kid, sweet kid, but he's kind of like if a squirrel became a person. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Like, just honestly, that's like the best way to describe him. So sweet, happy, but just kind of just squirrelish, you know? And, and so here he comes, and I'm like, right on, man. What's, what's going on, man? Tell me about it. What's going on? How can I pray? Let's, let's do this thing. And so he does one of those um, where, you know, things where I'm going to confess something without actually confessing something. It's a real handy church trick where you get to admit that you're weak without admitting the specific areas of weakness. And, uh, and so he comes up. He's like, pray for me, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, pray. I'll pray up a good prayer, like real powerful prayer. I'm sure it was fantastic. Changed the world. It was amazing. And, uh, and so he goes back and sits down next night and pastor finishes preaching and so he brings all the youth pastors up and he invites the kids to come down to pray with their youth pastor here comes that kid again same kid i'm like what's going on man and he like confesses like the same thing that he confessed the night before and i'm thinking hmm okay all right yeah let's get at it again come on two times a charm double portion let's do it next night i'm up here here he comes again I feel all my compassion like leaking out of me, you know. <laughs> so by the time he gets up to me, I'm like, what's up? <laughs> what's up? And he kind of goes into like literally the same speech that he was giving me the two nights before. I'm like, listen, bro, can I just be honest with you? Like, you haven't even had time to sin again. Like, we're not even at home. Like, you're good. I think you're good. Like, you're fine. Do you have anything new? I mean... So he, we pray, I muster up something. I'm sure it was very powerful, meaningful. And he goes back and sits down. Last night, next night, last night. It's a big emotional night. I'm back up in my place. And all the other youth pastors, you know, people are coming from their churches. Here he comes again. I'm like, oh my goodness. Pray for me, you know. <laughs> He's walking right now. I see him coming. I'm mentally prepared. Be nice, be nice, be nice. Come on, be nice. He walks right past me <laughs> and goes to some dude he doesn't know. Pray for me. Because my youth pastor is a terrible youth pastor over there. <laughs> Zero compassion. 
But there are people in our lives like this, aren't there? Now, you're judging me. I get it. But you have someone in your life like that, too. Someone that you can endure with up until a point, but at some point, they just start sucking you dry. Everything is fine in the first five minutes of the conversation, but about minute six, here they go. Here it is again. I thought we dealt with that already. I thought we moved past that. I, I, uh, the challenge of loving people is people. But here's what's important for us to know. The reason that we get into relationships and then those relationships drift apart is because the honest truth is, is we don't want to be in relationships where we have to sow all the time. We want to be in relationships where we can do a lot of reaping. Where we get a lot of joy, where we get a lot of life, where we get a lot of laughter, where we get a lot of fun, where we get built up, where we are encouraged. We don't like to be on the other end of that. We like to be receivers. We don't like to be sowers. So that why maybe there may be a pattern in some of our lives where your relationships are good for a while, but then there's distance. And that distance may come because there comes a moment where you don't just get to do the reaping in the relationship anymore. You may have to do the sowing. But why we're free according to the word of God is because our hope is not laid up here. We're not storing up treasures for ourselves here. Our time of reaping is in the life to come. Now we're going to experience a tremendous amount of good things here, great things here, blessing here, joy here, peace here. We're going to do a lot of reaping, but get your mind wrapped around this. Your biggest time of reaping, your biggest time of harvest will not be in this life. That's why it's called heaven. It is unending harvest. So we know that our hope is laid up there so we can sow a little bit longer here. We can endure with people a little bit longer here. We can be patient a little bit longer. We can forgive more. Because our season of reaping is not here. Why? Because we're storing up things in heaven. There's hope laid up for us there. Verse 5 again. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus is bearing fruit all over the world. As it also does among you. So the gospel is bearing fruit among the Colossians. See, love is the fruit of being in Christ and Christ being in you. And it's a specific kind of love. It's a self-sacrificing kind of love. See, there are a lot of loving people on this planet. In fact, some of you, like me, the most loving people we know, most caring people we know, most compassionate people we know may not even be followers of Jesus. A lot of caring people on this planet. But here's the advantage that we have as the church. Here's the advantage that we have. Love that comes as fruit of the gospel, the good news of Jesus living in you, creates a unity with other believers that the world does not comprehend. Love that comes from Christ in you 
is a glue that no one you work with can wrap their minds around. It's like when Amanda and I first met. We met one. We had met this one week. We were doing missions, and uh, and so our job. We had only known each other for a couple of days, but we were partners because she was cute and I'm a smart man, and so our partners and we were again doing evangelism just like we were back in Venezuela a little while after that walking up and down the street in this one particular city trying to get into conversations about Jesus. We go into this one store to get a soda and we're sitting at this kind of table, long table, bar kind of thing and we're served some Dr. Peppers and and we start talking with the guy that's serving us and he's like, are you married? And I'm like, no, she wants to be, but not yet, you know. I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But he asked if we were married and you know we laughed and had that kind of awkward like, I think you're cute, but I'm not going to say it out loud, you know, kind of thing. And he asked us what we were doing, and we, were, I just told, we just told him this is what we're doing, telling people about Jesus. Within weeks, for sure within a month, I knew this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be with this woman, and I want to tell people about Jesus. That's what I want to do with my life. And the world doesn't understand that kind of glue. The world doesn't understand that kind of unity. Listen, if, this is, if you're single, this is why you don't want to get into an in-depth relationship with somebody who is not a follower of Jesus. Not because they're not a nice guy. I'm sure they are. Not because she's not really moral and comes from a good family and has a stable job. I'm sure she does. But there is unity among followers of Jesus that only comes from Christ in you. That's the advantage that we have in this house that no other place outside of the church of Jesus has. We have something inside of us that bonds us together because the love that the world knows is a love based on commonality, common proximity. You ever have people you have real close relationship with, love, care about, because you work together, because you live next door to one another, because you were roommates, and when that stops being true, that proximity gets a little bit greater, the relationship just falls apart? Why? Because that's love based on commonality, common proximity. Love based on common motivations, love based on common experience, love based on common hobbies. It's a fine love and it's enjoyable. But the glue is not there. The unity is not there like it is between followers of Jesus. So how shameful would it be if the love inside of this room looked just like the love outside of this room? If the love that was in here was just the same kind of love that you can find in television, in a movie, or at any place of business. Just a love based on our common ground but our love is fruit of the gospel see the problem with a love just based on commonality is it's fine but there will come a moment in that relationship where you have to sacrifice where you have to sow instead of reap there will come a moment where you have to forgive where you have to swallow your pride And if the only thing holding you together is commonality, there's a place in there that you won't go. You'll think this relationship is not worth it. 
but if we're bonded together because of Christ in us, fruit of the gospel, then we will endure with one another. We will forgive one another. We will swallow our pride. We will deal with each other in humility. We will sacrifice because that's the kind of love that comes from Christ in you. It's a self-sacrificing love. You know why? Because we inherited it from him. I want you to take your Bible turn to Luke chapter 22. Jesus is on the eve, within moments of being arrested, and he's having one last dinner, a Passover meal with his closest friends. It says in verse 14, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, ripped it, shredded it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus holding up a cup, sharing it with his friends. This is self-sacrificing love. Jesus holding up the bread, ripping it, saying, this is my body, broken, shredded, ripped into, pierced. This is self-sacrificing love. Remember me. Then he said these words, on the eve of that, or on the, the end, at the end of that meal, verse 34 of John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in just a second, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. You're going to come forward if you're a follower of Jesus and you're going to rip off a piece of the bread. And when you rip it off, you're going to hear someone say, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. And when you hear that in your ears, I want you to remember that's a self-sacrificing love. Then you take that bread and you dip it into the cup and you'll hear somebody say, this is the blood of Jesus shed for you. And when you dip it into the cup, I want you to hear in your ears, this is a self-sacrificing love. And on your way back to your seat, you remember the words of Jesus as they were leaving that room. A new commandment I give you to love one another. By this they will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, we have received self-sacrificing love today. So let's give self-sacrificing love in Jesus name.